Hello, everybody, and welcome to Azumer's Diary, the show where we unpack life's experiences to laugh and learn. I am your lovely, gracious host, Syed Batiz, and it's currently, as I always say, an early Sunday night, so we have plenty of time to chat. Fellas, let me tell you something. I have a perfectly viable reason why I am a week off schedule. It's because... Our school musical, which happens every other year, by the way, so it's kind of a big deal. School musical Chicago just finished its four-day run last week after months and months of rehearsing and staying after school and people getting sick and having to be replaced last minute and me throwing my voice and me not being able to hit notes and me me messing up choreography and looking like a drunken chicken. We finally pulled it off, and I gotta say... It was a hell of a fucking show. I think months after rehearsing, or months after you rehearse for a show, finally seeing your castmates kill it on stage and all of it coming to fruition, especially with the lights and the cues and all the props and the sounds that go off and the musical cues, it it really is a magical experience. And I can say without a doubt that that was probably one of the best theater experiences I have had so far in my life. Now, obviously, I've only been in the game for 15 years, so... Hopefully there's better. I feel like if this was my best, that'd be kind of sad. But not to say that it was a really good experience. It was the best so far, but we'll see what happens. But yeah, that Sunday after the show, my voice was so thrown. It was, we performed Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then it was, we performed another time Wednesday of this week or last week. Is it last week? What what time? What day does sun, What day does the week start on? Sunday? Monday? What do we agree on? I don't know. Uh, the Bible says Sunday. Everyone, I don't know. I grew up Monday. What was I saying? The day before finals, uh, we performed one more time for an invite-only audience. And I think that fourth performance really reminded me uh, of a saying uh, Shakespeare once said. The world will end not with a bang, but with a whimper. And let me tell you, that fourth day, we whimpered our way to the finish line. That shit was, at least, at least for me, it was rough. There are people out there that were just weren't even breaking a sweat even after the fourth day um, and just absolutely killing it. And then there were some people who normally putting their all into every single performance. That fourth day, I have never, se- they look like they got hit by a bus and I've never seen them so dead inside dancing. <laughs> I only say this because I've said it to their face, and I know they listen to this, so don't give me shit. Um, but yeah, no, it was an absolutely wonderful experience, and I gotta say, it was worth every penny. Every penny? I didn't pay for it. It was worth the pain in my throat. But the only reason why I had pain in my throat was because I guess I wasn't singing properly. Um, I, I guess, have been imagining my body the wrong way, or my throat the wrong, wrong way when, the wrong way, the wrong way when singing, because... I guess actively thinking about your throat when you're trying to push a note out, kind of like flexing a muscle, is bad. And you just have to put absolutely no effort into your throat and use your diaphragm for every single note. And I recently discovered this singing karaoke where I was like, oh god, my throat hurts a lot. What happens if I just don't use it at all and I just keep it um, unactivated? I don't know. It's like when you kind of let your limp, that's what it is, let your throat be limp. That kind of sounds weird. Let it be limp and just use my diaphragm to push through the notes. And it went pretty well. Now, is this method actually how it's supposed to be? I'm not sure. I'm not a vocalist uh, professionally. But I'm going to have to figure it out. Because uh, 
I will because of something that I will talk about later when we talk about life. Now, I have to open this entry like we open every entry with some awesome news. The segment where I present you lovely listeners and what was supposed to be my guest with some awesome news that we will be sure to learn from. This time, though, it is actually awesome news because I realized looking up complicated geopolitical news on Google every week uh, kind of sucks. And honestly, it was to, supposed to be a punchline for a setup that never happened, right? It's supposed to be there's supposed to be a guest, and then I'm like, "How do you, uh, <laughs> awesome news, fellas? Uh, India's geopolitical climate has made it unstable, uh, has made the relationship with the Saudis unstable due to the prime minister's fear of chicken. How do you feel about this? And then they get confused, and it's funny, but they're not here. So I decided to actually look up news that I thought was. Mm, Awesome is too loaded a word that I thought was interesting. Uh, Psychology Today had an article, came out with an article, March 8th, yesterday. says, three signs you might be the problem in your relationship. Fellas, have you ever thought to yourself, have you ever had a moment of self-awareness where you thought to yourself, maybe the issues that are happening in my life are being caused by bad habits? Or being caused by actions that I am taking? Well, this article done by psychologist Mark Travers, ph.d, that's what that means. I don't know. He looks like a psychologist to me. Has lists three reasons, three detailed reasons on how you might be the problem in your relationships. The first reason, over-romanticizing a potential partner. What this means is when you over-idealize, when you start thinking about the person in the best way possible all the time, so you force them into a position where they are, their reality of who they are is rewritten so that it's fit to your needs and it's fit to your standards. Now, uh, there's also a bulleted list of uh, which expands on this topic more. What this means is having an over-reliance in your partner, adoring them too much, over-idealizing them, or over-idealizing? How the hell do you say that? Over, over-idealizing, over something. Anyways, over-romanticizing. That can be symptoms of a lack of self-respect because you are giving everything to the other person and despite your moral principles, despite what you seemingly stand for, you are a pushover to them. And any relationship problems, any dilemmas that come up, your morals and your beliefs and your standards and your values go out the window so that you can please the other person. But this stems also from a lack of self-esteem because you are presenting yourself as dependent on your other partner. You can't function on your own. You can't be happy on your own. You can't be validated on your own or through other sources. You instead rely on this one person to give you the happiness that you need to function in a day-to-day life. Now, of course, not only can this just be in you over-romanticizing and over-idolizing. It's not idolizing. Idealizing. I, I, ideal, idealizing. Over that... <laughs> a partner but it can also be it can also be seen before relationships even start for example if somebody shows you interest and you end up placing unrealistic high hope unrealistically high hopes on them and soup and start fitting them and rewriting the reality of who they are as a person so that they can make you happy and you start to demand trust and intimacy right out of the gate that is also a sign of a lack of self-esteem because you yourself are not strong enough as a person 
to be able to think, hmm, maybe this person isn't who's what's right for me. Even though this person does show some interest, maybe I shouldn't be giving myself to this person or shouldn't be locking myself in with this individual. Now, some solutions to this, giving them a chance to invest. Uh, what this means is that, obviously, for a relationship to be healthy, I'm quoting this, feelings must be mutual. If your partner truly feels the same way about your bond as you do, they should be willing to show their gestures of love. So, rather than over-idealizing and being overly affectionate to them and adoring them and obsessing over them, give them a chance to appreciate you and to let them invest in your in the, blah, 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 in your relationship. In your relationship, meaning plural, I can't grammar. Not that the relationship is specific to you. You know what I mean. You and their relationship. Give them a chance to put in the effort rather than them constantly receiving all your adorations. Another really good solution to this uh, or a an outlet or way to f- confront this issue, if you do have this issue, of course, is to ask others for objective opinions. When you are in a relationship and when you like a person, you construct such a limited worldview. You get tunnel vision. You don't realize their flaws. You don't pick out their flaws. You don't think about the little things that would normally bother you in any other sense because you like them so much that you imagine a world where they, you and them are in it together forever. That there is no possible thing that could upset this balance because you are constantly feeling so happy and validated by them and you adoring them makes you feel happy and validated. But because of this, this tunnel vision makes you blind to possible faults, to possible red flags, to possible moral dilemmas in them that you don't realize but other people see. One way to prevent yourself from falling into this, as the article says, falling for someone imaginary, is to ask for a third party for their honest views and opinions about the relationship. This has happened to me plenty of times. I was so blinded by, I don't want to say love, by a, a uh, a dumb rush to be like everybody else and to be ahead of the curb or even with the curb in a relationship that I failed to see that the red flags and I failed to see that we were two incompatible people and that we were two uh, not entirely whole confident people um, that shouldn't shouldn't have ever had a relationship or shouldn't have ever made a commitment. But any of my friends saw it. Every one of my friends saw it. Every one of my friends said, don't get in a relationship. Don't be with this person. But I failed to, I constructed this imaginary someone for myself that made me feel happy, that made me feel validated, that I could make happy and that I could make uh, feel validated, that I failed to see that it was actually hurting me. And of course, some people, when they form attachments to others, they can't stand the thought of that person not being with them, right? Of that person not confiding in them and not that person not making them their ride or die, right? They can't stand the thought of them just being another face in the hallway, or they can't send a thought of even them being with another person. But because of that, they will go to such efforts to construct someone that is perfect, that doesn't have any faults, that fits perfectly to their needs, and that is wonderful. Like it's like the it's like the excuse, oh yeah, we're opposites, you know, and opposites attract. Like, no, one of you is a social butterfly, and one of you has crippling social anxiety where they can't even go to a school dance. So that is not that is not an opposite to track moment. That is a you both have clashing personalities that you cannot enjoy each other's company. So that's why it is important, although the truth may hurt, it is important to ask others for their opinions on the relationship. And that when it feels like you against the world, 
it's probably just you against yourself, if anything. But that is just the first reason. The second reason that you may be the problem is chasing someone who just broke up. Now, if you chase somebody that just broke up, it's a signal and as well as a symptom that you have difficulty giving other people the time and space they sometimes need. Now, here's two examples, sorry, two signs uh, that can help you make a sound decision on whether a recently single partner is worth investing in. One, are they easily reminded of their ex? If your potential partner, if the partner that you decide to choose that just broke up, brings up their ex frequently or talks about their ex frequently or even just blanks and things that remind them of their ex because they're lost in thought, it means that either they're still occupied with memories or unhealed wounds, but also, if you notice that they're speaking negatively, talking, as they say, talking shit about their partner, that means that they're still not ready to move on, and that means that their ex is still occupying their thoughts, and that they are not going to be ready to take responsibility for things that go wrong in a relationship, because of course... If you break up with a person and all you can think of is slandering them and talking shit about them and getting out imaginary anger on them rather than accepting what happened, accepting, you know, there was fault in both sides, accepting that things just weren't meant to be, as they say, then maybe you're picking at straws. Maybe you're choosing, maybe they're picking fights that really weren't there because they, they can't stand the thought that anything might be their fault that anything might be their responsibility. They can't take responsibility for things that might have been their fault. Also, are they giving you mixed signals? Another pattern to watch out for is if your partner starts off strong, only to disappoint as you move along in your relationship. For instance, someone who has just broken off their previous relationship could be on a trial run to prove that they can still be in a relationship. Tread this path cautiously and try to figure out if they are genuinely interested. Now, I can't say that I'm not guilty of this, obviously. I think after the heels of my absolute eruption, I was thinking to myself, you know what, I'm good, I don't want a relationship, but let's just see what happens. And of course, that leads to caught feelings. That leads to miscommunication. That leads to people thinking that you feel ways that you aren't ready to feel. And obviously, that is entirely your bad, that is entirely my bad, but it's still a sort of... Um, I don't want to say necessary evil, but I think it's it's a it's an exploratory way of seeing where you are psychologically and emotionally. Um, but you really have to be careful, and you have to really make sure that you are clear, either clear with the other person, or don't give them incredibly mixed signals that they think that you're ready for a relationship when you are just kind of testing the waters a bit. So, fellas. Don't be in a situation where later you have to say my bad. That's all I got to say. Number three, expecting commitment just because you had sex. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so that's an interesting thing because I'm, mm, I, am, <laughs> I am 15 and three quarters. This podcast is listened to by teenagers as well as uh, my family. I don't think I can openly speak about sex or any sexual related nature uh, legally and morally because for obvious reasons. But uh, fellas, reminder that fellas is a gender neutral term at Azuma's Diary. Expecting commitment just because you had sex. 
if you're doing that, you might you might be the you might be the problem. Schedule time. Look for signs for mutual interest. Express yourself. Schedule time outside of the bedroom. Test your communication strength. A recent article published in Personal Relationships found that couples who communicated effectively and collaboratively reported higher levels of relationship satisfaction. Take some time to test your teamwork and joint problem-solving abilities. If you find yourself clicking on a deeper level, this may indicate to both of you that there's more to this potential partnership than the physical element. Good to know. I shouldn't have said that. I will be hearing shit from my mom later. Why are so many... Sorry, I got distracted by the relationship's essential reads. Why are so many young men single and sexless? Uh, I don't know, skill issue? <laughs> Anyways... That was my awesome news for this week, for these this whole two weeks. Let's move on to some pop talk. First off, we must address the elephant in the room. Not to say that she is an elephant, but she is certainly... I don't know where I'm going with that. Anyways, Taylor Swift kicks off her Eras tour with a 44-song set. A three-hour set at Arizona State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona where she took her fans on a journey through her body of work. It has been five years since Taylor last toured, and during that time, she has released three albums. So she had a lot more material to bring to the stage this time in her stadium full of Swifties. Uh, she had opened the set with Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince from her 2019 Lover album, included the 10-minute version of All Too Well, Look What You Made Me Too, which is performed against a giant video wall, showing Swift throughout her 17-year career, and Blank Space, which featured her dancers riding neon bikes. Now, obviously, Taylor Swift is a, at this point, probably a global icon, as well as a global phenomenon. So, I think it is entirely within her ability to do a 44 3 hours long 3 44 song 3 hour long set to open up her national her new national tour. However, as a 15 and 3 quarters year old, I did 3 songs. Mm, I did 3 shows back to back uh with 3 songs including some ensemble songs and so ensemble singing and afterwards uh, I my throat hurt so much that I couldn't even record the podcast. So, I'm not sure what voodoo magic she has Excuse me. I don't know what techniques she uses to control her voice, but I think it'd be really nice if professional singers uh, made information available about how to maintain uh, voice and how to maintain uh, your vocal performance or your vocal quality um, if you are performing. Because obviously, information on how to sing properly is plentiful, but information on how to sing consistently well for an extended period of time, like you know, what they do to get ready for, I don't know, 44 song sets would be highly appreciated. And by highly appreciated, I mean, really, it's kind of just me. Um, but Taylor Swift, <laughs> Taylor Swift, if you're listening, <laughs> fuck it, share me, share me, your, share with me your secrets, because that'll be really appreciated. Anyways, uh, moving on, let's see, where else is she performing? U.S. Madison, U.S. Chicago, Lexington, New Orleans, Raleigh, Sacramento, Charlotte, Huntsville, Washington, Minneapolis, Memphis, Louisville, Louisville. Wow, ignore that. Albany, St. Louis, Fort Lauderdale, and Cincinnati. Absolutely wonderful. Hmm. Oh, also, uh, Glendale. This is a well-known well fact. Glendale uh, did rename their city to Swift City. Uh, to honor her kicking off her tour in Glendale, Arizona. Um, now, 
the fact that someone can have that much influence is a bit concerning um, in how we just place our absolute trust uh, in an icon like that to to idolize like the way we do is also a bit concerning. But uh, I'll talk about that later when we start to talk about life some more. Um, but for the rest of her tour in Glendale, the city will remain being named uh, Swift City. Absolutely wonderful. Now, here's something. Moving on. Here's something that I didn't actually know or hear about until I saw it on an Instagram story. Now, I didn't think it was true because the way it was a news article, right? It was like it was like breaking news or whatever. I didn't think it was true because the news, the, the thumbnail, the picture was in the same format that other fake news, like those uh, those little news articles that you see that are like Stuart Little found dead in Chicago or Miss Frizzle uncovered for uh, drug child trafficking ring, right? Like those really weird headlines that are just entirely fake, but they're just realistically, realistically brutal and funny. Um, it was in that format. So I didn't think it was real. Turns out it is the Good Burger sequel is now in the works with stars Keenan Thompson and Kel Mitchell announcing it on The Tonight Show on March 17th that part two of The Good Burger will be releasing later this year on Paramount+. Plus. Oh god, that scared the crap out of me. I scrolled down the article and then a video played and it blasted into my headset at full volume. That was terrifying. Now, it will be releasing on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, we're not really sure when the release date is, but we just know it is coming out. Now, I'm going to be honest... I don't even remember if I've seen... I think I've seen The Good Burger from, like, beginning to end uh, when I was, like, four or five. So I don't really remember it entirely. Uh, I've seen so many videos uh, about it, of so many watch parties, and how uh, Ed is an eldritch monstrosity that the uh, in the Good Burger restaurant is his domain or his prison um, in, in, in floating space. Uh, now, I did not know... For example, I did not know that Kel Mitchell played Ed and that he was named Ed. And that was a little disturbing. But I guess he came he came first, so I can't really be saying anything. Uh, so Good Burger 2 will be coming out. Um, uh, speaking uh, of things that I found on Instagram that I had no idea what they meant until I actually looked them up. Uh, a a uh, prominent... Uh, company based in uh, creating content for Dungeons and Dragons uh, Critical Role who had an incredibly successful Kickstarter to animate their first campaign uh, which then led to them getting picked up by Amazon and then led to them having a now going to be a three season show on their first campaign um, announced on their story uh, or had a tribute to Lance Reddick uh, one of the voice actors uh, that was on the show who played the Red Dragon Thordak uh, and hold his incredibly iconic voice to the character. Um, and I wasn't sure what it was for because it didn't uh, outright say explicitly. Um, but Lance Reddick, uh, who played uh, Cedric Daniels in HBO's The Wire and who also played Charon in the John Wick series he was the concierge for the the continental hotel which was like the, the the hot spot the safe zone for the assassins passed away at age 60 um friday morning march 17th they say due to natural causes now they're not explicitly they have not explicitly said um or revealed how he died they just say he passed away suddenly on friday morning um and he was last seen on an instagram live 
uh, talking about his uh, his upcoming appearance on a, in a talk show, uh, playing with his dogs, and he seemed fine. And then I guess Friday, his his representative Mia Hansen broke the news that he had passed away. At sixty, is very young. He did not seem unhealthy, and he did not seem to be struggling with health problems. So, I'm everyone's a bit curious to see what natural causes did mean, but still, he was. He was a giant in this industry, and his voice and his looks and his professionalism uh, in the business was recognized everywhere. And I think also coming from someone who plays <laughs> regularly plays games with his voice in it, um, he voiced uh, characters in Horizon Zero Dawn, the PlayStation exclusive about dinosaur robots, uh, and he also had voice roles in the sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn, Horizon Zero Dawn Forbidden West. And he also had recurring voice work and the <laughs> the constantly updated and uh, constantly growing uh, story of Destiny 2 where he played Titan Vanguard Commander Zavala, who was a very prominent character um, and whose voice I hear every week. I think moving forward um, without his talent as a voice, because he did have a, a very unique uh, voice and resonance uh, that was specific to him and is why he made it so he made his character so iconic in the games that he did have voice work in i'm not sure how it's going to be moving forward you know they have but it is odd because they have so many recordings they have so many lines how many lines have they recorded from him that they haven't used you know are they going to puppeteer his voice now in in moving forward in voice lines that he actually never said or are they going to find new talent and we're going to have to move on because now it is grim, but we're listening to the voice of a dead man. And I think, I'm not sure many people have really come to terms with that yet, but it, it does really feel like losing someone that you knew just because of how common his voice was to hear everywhere and to see. So for him not to be able to make anything new now is is something that people are going to have to come to terms with. So um my condolences to his family uh and to his children to his wife Stephanie uh to his son Christopher and to his daughter Yvonne um i i think together as a community he was he really brought <laughs> the i and i only speak for the destiny community the the, the video game uh that he was most prominent in his death really brought everyone together um, in a way, and I think it is really heartwarming to see that the voice work is incredibly talented, the voice work is incredibly appreciated in the industry, and there are thousands of players holding memorials for him, some were logging onto the game for hours, standing in front of his character, um, paying their respects, even just virtually, um, and I think that goes a really long way, so rest in peace, Lance Reddick. Anyways, as we move on from Pop Talk, before we start to talk about life a little bit, I have to make sure to get in this segment uh, before I forget, and then I have to record the segment after, and then I have to shove it in the middle of the podcast, like or the shove it in the middle of the entry, like I it was there in the first place. Uh, spoiler alert, that's how I usually do it, because I forget all the time. Ask a team! Whoa! The part... The part? What? The segment... <laughs> that was such a bad voice, girl. Ugh. Ask a teen. The part, 
the part, God damn it, I said it again. Ask a teen, the segment where you lovely listeners, oh my God, I'm struggling. Where you lovely listeners send me your questions, no matter how ridiculous or serious, for me to answer to the best of my ability. Question by, question by, question from Sienna. Hi, Sienna. Do you know any songs that can help me feel better when I'm sad? Or do you know any uplifting songs that always get you in a better mood? Um, well, let me tell you, Sienna. I am going to have a very specific answer for this because me with music, I enjoy all music. If it's good music, I will listen to it. I don't care if it's alt. I don't care if it's indie. I don't care if it's pump, 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 punk. I don't care if it's pump. I don't care if it's rock. I don't care if it's pop. If it's good music, I will listen to it. Most, I just hit my microphone. Um, more so if I can dance to it. But I, me specifically, uh, now that I've had, uh, now that I have uh, earbuds given to me by my beautiful co-star, wonderful, awesome, great, wonderful, awesome co-star, uh, who played Roxy in Chicago? She gave me uh, headphones that I could plug into my iPhone and that I could st- listen to because I don't have AirPods. Um, so I've been listening to more music more and more uh, in my free time. Uh, I treat music very specifically in a way where I listen mostly to Latin. And this isn't, tr- I'm not trying to be some mega woke person when I say this, but the I really value my culture and. I'm kind of losing it more and more each day. Um, so one of the two main things that keep me anchored to my culture as a as a as a Mexicano um, are food and music. So usually when I listen to music uh, or I listen to music that will you know get me in a better mood, it is mostly strictly Latin. Um, some specific songs, I'm not sure. Here, let me. God fucking, I'm sorry. I don't have Spotify premium. That's my bad. Uh, Yeah, that's a problem too. What I'm like, if I'm ever in a shitty mood and I try to listen to music to to, to listen to it, there's a chance that I'm just going to hear, try Tide Pods or something, and then I'm just going to cry even harder. God, I just, fucking, this, is, this, is a, this is a Spotify unpremium moment. Uh, That's my bad. Anyways. Um, let me see some good songs, some good general songs. Let's see. What's my like songs playlist? Uh, Mr. Blue Sky by Electric Light Orchestra. Uh, Piano Man's a good one. Latin Suavecito by Malo is a good one. Literally most any Selena song that you can dance to is good. Uh, it's very specific though. So like, yeah, with, with my, I mostly stick to Latin stuff. So when my... When my co-star gave me the headphones and was like, here, now you can listen to you know, more music and more specific music and kind of broaden your music taste. And I was like, oh, what are some stuff I could listen to? Uh, she gave me, you know, bands and stuff. And that's when I realized, oh, wait, I'm not going to be listening to any of this. So, sorry, I will not be listening to Deftones or The Strokes. Uh, I'm sure they have great music. I know they have great music, uh, although it's very specific taste because it's alt music and stuff. But I'll be listening to stuff that's not in English. Suavecito, that's not the name, Suavecito, any Selena song, uh, there's a lot of Jose Jose songs, the Jose Jose, the goat himself, if you are a dancer, any song that will get you in a dancing mood will probably boost, you know, it will probably make you feel better in general, more, in a more general sense, not kind of broadening out from Latin, I gotta say, 
what's that one Kai Verdes song? Uh, A-OK? Is that what it's called? A-OK? Yeah, Ty Verdes, not Kai Verdes. I'm stupid. Uh, A-OK is a good one. I'm sure there's a bunch of Taylor Swift songs that are good out there. But honestly, Sienna, I think it's specific to you. I really think that certain people get... Uh, I mean, obviously, there's some songs universally that you can, you can listen to and that you just can't really feel sad or saddened by them. And I think it's really common to see. But to me, specifically, it's 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 mostly a lot of Latin stuff. Uh, to you, in general, I think listen to Suavecito by Malo, M-A-L-O, Mr. Blue Sky by Electric Light Orchestra, A-OK by Ty Verdes, I'm sure there's a bunch of other iconic songs that make everyone happy that I can't really think of. <laughs> because I'm Happy by Pharrell Williams. The that the goat the goat of happy songs. Hell yeah. You can't be sad. No, you know what you can do when you listen to the song? You can't not think of the minions when you listen to that song. Which kind of makes it miserable in and of itself. But uh let's see, what else? Oh, that one song, what is it? Sunroof by the one dude, what's, what is it? Oh God, I suck at remembering names. It's because I consume so much content in a day that I can't remember specific names for shit. Sunroof. S- song. Nikki, Nikki Yor and Daisy. Nope, Dazi. I think it's Dazi. Sunroof is a good one uh, because it was all over the radio for like, three months and nobody could get the da 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 out of their head um, and it was absolutely miserable i don't know what they did but they fucking they cracked the code on musical catchiness and they were stuck in everyone's head for an extended period of time so honestly sienna i can't give you a better i can't give you a good answer because i don't know you specifically and i think all you need to do is just look up songs that will get you in a better mood And you will be presented with a library of music that have successfully made others happy and have a chance to make you happy as well. Because you, I don't know you better than yourself. Does that make any sense? I don't know you better than you know yourself. There we go. That makes more sense. Uh, Anyway, Sienna, I hope my answer was of some, I guess, answerness that was so stupid. Give me a second, Sienna. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> I hope my answer was satisfactory, although it wasn't really a direct answer. I kind of just talked about music that made me happy. But I can tell you, whatever mood you're in, there's going to be songs that can help you feel better about it. So you'll be all right. Anyways, that has been our segment of Ask a Teen for this week. If you have any questions that you'd like to ask me, uh, email us your questions. <laughs> email us. I got to start saying email me. I'm sorry. Email me your questions at azumersdiary at gmail.com. And I will do the best of my ability to pick yours and answer them. Answer them to the best of my ability. Now, let's talk life a little bit. Fellas, obviously, it has been two weeks. So, life has definitely been uh, a move. Let's see. What do I have to talk about? Well, besides the musical coming to a close, uh, I have developed a bunch of new relationships with people. Whoa, social interaction. It's crazy. Now, the people in the musical have been, I think, some of the one of some of the most uh, some some of the nicest friends that I've ever made uh, in a while. 
And I think part of that comes in them being adults so they can uh, kind of, there is less barrier of entry with them because they are the ones, they're kind of independent making their own decisions. So if I ask them to come over, they don't have to ask their parents and then get a ride and then figure out what time their parents are picking them picking them up or if we're giving them a ride, they can just kind of show up. Um, but also with that, there is a level of maturity that they have that makes it so we're not we, their communication is simple and communication is easy um and we really make sure that both parties uh, are really enjoying themselves now of course i am also friends with people that graduated previously in high school friends that i made uh, in f- uh freshman year who graduated and who i <laughs> i i really want to keep for the rest of my life but here's the thing that sucks let me tell you when you are, I've come to this realization uh, recently, especially now that I've, uh, I invited the musical ca- uh, those musical friends over to my house and I was spending time with them. Uh, and I realized that I am stretching myself way too thin. I have, I know so many people and I know so many friend groups and I'm partially, I have one foot in so many friend groups that I don't know where to dedicate my time to. And I don't know who I should be like, the, the friends that I should be dedicating more effort towards because there's just too much and it sucks because they can't, they're not all in one big group. Cause sometimes the people in one friend group have, be- excuse me, have beef with people in another friend group or one person in a friend group who's in is, is required in that friend group does not jive with another person in a friend group even though everybody else jives so then it's just awkward and I'm really starting to have to think about where I dedicate my time and to who I dedicate my time to because my sister actually summed this up perfectly my five-year-old sister uh summed this up when she was uh a friend of mine one of the one of the people that came over uh was talking to her because I guess my sister stole all their hearts. She made a lesbian say, "Okay, I'm having kids." So, you know, that was Im- very impressive. <laughs> she was talking to my sister and my sister said, "Yeah, he has friends at school but not at home." And that really made me realize, "Oh shit, that's true." <laughs> because I don't really invite people over because I don't know who to invite because everyone's in their own separate circles that I'm not sure where to dedicate that time that time slot to them. And it made me realize that, yeah, even though being this, you know, being such a, being a floater is really fun, I'm going to have to like settle and I'm going to have to actually settle down with my relationships and figure out who I'll be dedicating more time to because I can't keep doing this forever. And of course, does this mean I'm going to cut off certain people? No, not really. It just means I'm not going to put more gas in whatever we have because like they're just friends I see at school at see it. There's just, they are just friends I see at school. And they're friends that I'm not going to be dedicating, like, like going out of my way as much uh, more to them. Because if I were to, then I'd be stretching myself thin because I already have these interpersonal relationships with these people and these connections with these people and these people that come over to, come over to my house and yada, yada, yada. But to the adverse of that, I also realized that because of that, because I have to start settling down and I have to really kind of manage my relationships better and I have to start dedicating more effort towards just specific friend groups and cutting out more. I have to feel less shitty about not being included because that's entirely super unfair. But it is something that's I noticed was like has been rooted in my biology. I will sometimes I like physically. It's I've gotten way better at it, 
but there have been there's been times where I'll just like feel shitty because I'll see an Instagram post of a group picture and I'm like, what? I'm not in it, but it's because I didn't put in the effort to be in it. So I have no right to be feeling shitty about it. Now, if this advice resonates with anybody else, I guess this can also be advice rather than me just talking to the void and saying that I need to be better in this regard. But if you stretch yourself too thin, but then feel bad that you're not given the rewards for being deeply invested in something, then that's just unfair. That is just something that you have to realize that if you live, obviously, it's it's okay to live a lifestyle of, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. But if you're a jack of all trades, you shouldn't expect to be getting rewarded for being a master because you're not. You have a wide breadth, a breadth, breadth, B-R-E-A-D-T-H, breadth of experience, but not a lot of depth of experience. And I think uh, a book, a book that I mentioned previously, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson puts this uh, beautifully, is that... A breadth of experience, I'm not quoting him on this, by the way, this is definitely not exactly how he said it, but this is kind of the gist of, of the quote. A breadth of experience obviously can lead to a lot of experimentation and understanding of who you are as a person, but it is only with depth that you strike gold and you actually find something valuable in those relationships, in whatever you're investing yourself into. Like like the saying, Jack of all trades, master of none. So that's something I realized that I really need to start managing better. But I don't want it to seem like I'm cutting out any friends because I'm just keeping it the same as it as it is. I'm just realizing, oh, I shouldn't be investing myself in too many friend groups because then I'm going to implode. But then again, I also shouldn't be feeling guilty because I'm not included in things that I would be included in if I were more invested into that friend group. Like, you know, being invited to parties or whatever and this, this and that. But as long as I have friends that do include me, that do invest as much as I invest into them, then it's fine. But I think a part of growing up is realizing that we're going to have to settle at some point. And I'm not saying this in regards to just the musical friend group, uh, but I think they are people. Obviously, there's some people in the group that it's like, you know, others have issues with and whatever. But it's like, I think the general gist is uh, they're people that I'd like to invest more in. Um, and this is not me saying that they're the only people I'm going to invest in. There are people that I cherish so closely to my heart that I could never imagine my life being without, not in a fucking romantic weird way or whatever, but even just friendships of brotherhood, um, of just uh, the relationships that I have with them. Um, but I'm talking more in the, the people I see at school. Out of the people I see at school, these are the people that uh, I think I'm going to be kind of starting to starting to chill out with more. Or, I mean, they're an example of how I should be managing my time better and how I should be stop. I should stop stretching myself thin and how I can kind of combat that stretching. That makes sense. I love metaphors because um, they're cool. But obviously, of course, as with any relationship, it is important to understand to, to not get tunnel vision. And it is important to understand that there could be some rocky endeavors. So obviously, am I going to be, you know, uh, not bl brute force. Am I going to be like, you know, uh, thick headedly running into this and being oblivious to the issues and being oblivious and getting tunnel vision as with, you know, people in like romantic relationships? Obviously not. I'm going to, it's like bungee jumping. I'm going to have, I'm jumping off the cliff, but I'm having that cord attached to me and we'll see how it goes because I really appreciate their company. Um, and, and they're pretty cool people. So 
that is something I have to uh, start to kind of build more towards. And not even just friendships as well. But in relationships, I have discovered, and this is probably as a result of, uh, and I think some people can resonate with this. Uh, I think as a result of a shitty relationship that puts so much weight on your shoulders and then subsequently having that relationship out of your life and seeing how much how much less stressed you were um i think i'm like that that kind of that period of my life has now stunned me and shocked me psychologically to the point where i am scared of labels and i am scared of commitment uh now obviously there's people people with commitment issues are are plentiful but I think in this regard, it's more, it's, I'm scared of, um, what some people can resonate with this as well. Uh, it's, it's the fear of a label. It's the fear of outright saying something that might not be true the next day. It is the fear of making a promise that might not be, uh, biologically supported, right? I have feelings for you tomorrow. I might not have feelings next week. I might not have feelings shit in a year. I might just be like, I'm tired of this shit and don't want it anymore. So then why put those verbally putting those handcuffs on is terrifying and it's scary because you then have to abide by your word and your word is your world. You, when you speak, you are constructing the world around you and then you have to abide by that box. If you say you are this, you build the box that is that and you now have to be in that and you can't really do anything other than that because if you don't do that, then you're breaking your word. But the solution that many people have found is that if they just don't say anything, then they are the perfect fundamental floater. They can't be described in sentences because they don't describe themselves in sentences. They don't use words to describe themselves. They just use their actions uh, to do the, they just let their actions do the talking. And because of, because actions are so intangible, uh, they can't be kind of, they can't be described and they can't be put in the box of their own making. But while it is a nice way to live, it's something that I'm going to have to get over and something that a lot of other people are going to have to get over because even though it is gross seeing, this is also a weird, um, this is also a weird thing that's happened. I think after the relationship, I started seeing couples a lot differently. People that would post on their Instagram saying that they're in love four months in, I would just see it and just scoff and be like, I just don't, I mean, good. But then I, you know, the other double-edged sword and the other hand of that, Obviously, it's not right to shit on other people's feelings. It's not right to be judgmental of other people's feelings because then you don't have a right to be mad that other people judge your feelings. It is just odd, though. I think either it be as a result of uh, a, a loving parental relationship, like parents that love you, having parents that love each other, or having healthy, it might be a double-edged sword of having parents with a healthy relationship. I think it's teenagers wanting to have what their parents have because they see it as a part of growing up. And this is kind of characterized, like personally it's characterized by like me and my girlfriend called each other, me and my ex called each other, babe after like six months. And I only did it because my mom would do it and my stepdad would do it. And I'm like, I don't see the problem with this. It's a part of growing. It made me feel there's this is weird, uh, this weird, kind of odd like sense of, of satisfaction and happiness you get it's like being a kid and pretending to be a business and like you're paying time and like having this weird fascination and seeing things uh a part of adult life that are cool like oh my god uh i'm managing my business and i'm doing this and i'm managing my income and hiring workers and whatever 
It's like that, but in a romantic sense. And there's that weird fascination with it. Um, and I think it's something that I'm going to have to learn to uh, get better at understanding. Um, but uh, along with the the whole, like, you know, being in love after four months thing, uh, see you see couples differently in a way that when you see somebody committing all their time to one person, it just it grosses you out and it makes you afraid because you don't want to feel the same way that you were when you were committing yourself to just one person and you did have those shackles and you did have those handcuffs. But uh, it's something I'm going to have to get better at. And I think partially, I think I'm, I say I'm going to have to get better at it because there's someone that I think I'd like to build something with although it's gonna be that shit is gonna be on fucking security lock there's gonna be like five layers of security we're talking like a house right you know like the the metaphorical house that the home wreckers wreck right i'm laying the foundation because this is someone i'd like to be in, you know have the house with but this house is gonna be have fucking redstone traps we're talking sec- i i lock security door we're talking ring cameras all around the edges. It's going to be a very cautiously built house. Um, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Anyways, I am pushing into 51 minutes, 52 minutes of this episode. And if I push any longer, uh, my software is going to crash. So I have made my entry to Azumar's Diary. I uh, hope you all enjoy listening and catch me next week when once again I can make no promises I have to go play barbers with my sister so uh good night friends